This is exactly right. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deep deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, uh, welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara Clank. And I'm Lisa Traeger, and we're coming to you live, still from a Cleveland, Ohio hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> the illusion is gone. The fourth wall is crumbled. Um, and I do have to apologize ahead of time. I fucked up the audio for this. I was ripping the card out, loosey-goosey, no lube. Um, did not take care of the Zoom recorder. So my audio will sound bad, but it's okay because it happens. Yeah. I mean, she just won't sound as, you know, perfect as I sound, I guess, coming from my garage. Crispy cracker. Crispy cracker. Um, Okay, I have something to say. So... So I went with my sister and her husband to a place I've passed a bunch and it said relax center. And it's like, you know, a photo, like a picture of the reflux, reflexology feet. And like, it's a massage place. And they're like, it's the best massages. You keep your clothes on. It was one of the best experiences of my life. If you are a skoky person and you need uh. information or scoop, you can DM me and I will, I will, I'll tell you what's up. But 
man, did it relax. I mean, I was drooling. It was the a most incredible. on massage? Well, it's mostly like a foot thing, right? So first Ooh. you lay on your back and your feet go in a tub of like warm water. And then he works your head, arms, shoulder vibes. Then it's legs. And then each foot truly gets so much time. I mean, I was stoned out of my mind. But at one point, <laughs> I was like so sad that it was ending. And then I remembered I had another leg. And I was like, oh, thank God. And so then... <laughs> So then he did the other leg and then flipped. Uh, then you get to flip over and then it's like regular back stuff. And it's like I was transported. Wow. I love a good massage. I never get them enough, but I do love them. And my sis, well, they're regulars. They love it. I would, I don't know why I've never even, it's by the lover's lane. And so to me, that's the lover's lane plaza. I don't really think about it. And so then to have this kind of gem there is incredible. Amazing. Oh my gosh. Well, this segues perfectly. Maybe when we're in Chicago, actually, as of the episode, as of this episode coming out, we will have just been in Chicago, but tonight we are going to be in Minneapolis and we're going to see Casey. We're going to see Casey, our producer, producer Casey live and in person and probably on stage. Come on down, guys. Come to the show. Uh, oh, my God. We should totally play a game. We should yeah. do a game. Are you going to? Yeah. Where you have to pick between us. Fun questions. Uh, oh, like the one on TikTok where they go, who does this? Who does <laughs> yeah. that? Yes. Oh, I have that. to pick? No, yeah. you, have to, yeah, you have to play. You're the contestant. Oh we may, we're going to make you that. Okay. We're going we're gonna to do this. <laughs> All right. Milwaukee is tomorrow. Well, Milwaukee, we've never come to you. We've always gone to Madison, but this time we decided to come to you and Madison. So come to us uh, um, tomorrow night and then Thursday, or what? I'm sorry, I don't know what day of the week it will be, but uh, the 9th will be in St. Louis and then Sacramento on December 13th, New York on the 16th with a second late show added. It's not even a late show, it's at nine. Come go get dinner and then come to our nine o'clock show and then Philly on the 17th and the Wet Comedy Festival in Seattle on January 7th. But Lisa will be there also uh, doing stand up on the 6th. So yes, come that's to that January fest. 6th. January 6th, baby. I did have something to say about Lover's Lane. So I had a friend who did get, she works there and she got a concussion because a box of dildos did fall on her head. What? And then she got a second concussion that week too. It was pretty wild. That is some fucking sitcom shit. Are you talking, a box of dildos falling on your head? Well, the funniest thing was her um, nameplate said anal specialist, which I love. (laughs) Love that. Yes, Jared just got rid of all these fucking books in my house. I've been asking him to get rid of for 10 years. Okay. I feel like when I met you guys, you were um, you were making him get rid of books. Oh, yeah. That's I think it's, it's a constant battle. It's you just trying to get... Yes, because it's like, you know how you like little tchotchkes and just like memorabilia and stuff like that? For him, that's books. Like our, our house would be flooded for floor-to-ceiling books if I wasn't like, get rid of these. And I get that there's some books you want to keep forever, but it's like most of them, it's like once you've read it, I don't think you're going to revisit this book about life in the Renaissance again. You know what I mean? Let's get rid of it. So yeah, are there some that have always that have lasted throughout the years that are just yeah. mainstays? Yeah. He actually has like these wild books that are like really big that are like the big book of serial killers, the big book of monsters, the big book of that. Like they're like more like reference books, like encyclopedias for creepy shit that he's into. But honestly, and then like I keep some 
I, we have like some Shakespeare and stuff that I figure maybe my kids will have to read one day or something. Like we have some classics, but like my book collection has gotten so small and his is just like constantly growing. It has to be tamped down. It's hard being married to a nerd, everybody. Difficult. Yeah, but I guess it's like books and games is a little better than like full-blown action figures. I think that would drive you crazier. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't, he has like, he doesn't have that stuff. Like all his dice and shit stays out in the garage. But this is, I was actually watching yesterday before I left for the airport. Um, he was watching a horror movie. He was watching Halloween 4. And I was like, the acting was so bad. And I was like, are, are there horror movies with good acting? Like this is so bad. And he was like, I don't know if there's slasher movies with good acting, but there are definitely. And then I was like, obviously hereditary. I know our queen, Tony Collette. I know there are some, but like, what's a horror movie that you think of that has, he goes, maybe scream. I go, I mean, I guess yes. that's good acting, but that's such a comedy. That's like a comedy to me. Like, okay. I have some, I would say get out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Scary yeah. and good acting. I would say yeah. um it follows is like oh. really creepy and scary and good acting. Like you really I that movie I've only actually seen once and I really am scared to ever see it again. And it came up I, I think it's on one of the streamers, so the preview started playing and just that shivers. Um Is that the thing? Is that the one where like that you get a demon or something and then you have to give it to someone else? Yeah, but it's through so it's like if you have sex and then this like thing follows you and you can't get rid of it until you have sex with someone else and then it follows them. But then I actually oh. don't remember more because I was so scared. Um I Casey's mean, nodding. He's like, that's the gist. <laughs> Um, I want to think of others. I mean, it's not good acting, but I love the human centipede. Okay. Uh <laughs> I, like, I can't even finish the trailer for the human centipede. It horrifies me. Like, but I do think like, I don't I know. Skeleton movies. key, the ring, um, maybe Blair oh, Witch. Yeah. Oh yeah. Blair Witch, the you snot. know, famously, I thought Blair Witch was real. <laughs> So that is good acting. My brother-in-law actually took me to that and he was horrified. And we also went to one where it was like the 10 commandments were happening to people. And he, he really would get scared. It's pretty funny. <laughs> um, what other, I this is just a so classic many, one week after Halloween horror movie review here at that's best. Up we're nothing if not timely. I well, because now I love a challenge. I love a list. I love this. Yeah, you know, well, I that's like why. I, but like it's just misery, like when I, but I guess that's more of a thriller. yeah, more of like a thriller. Like thrillers to me, yes, the acting like has to be good. But like when I watch these like these like old seventies and eighties like horror movies that my husband's watching all the time, I'm like, this acting is so bad that I almost don't care if these people die. I know that sounds bad, but like Urban I can just legend. tell they're actors. It makes me feel like it's fake. You know, if it's like if it's like hereditary or some movie like that like where like the people everything seems so real then it's oh, the terrifying sense. yeah the sixth sense was oh so yeah scary. yeah oh man remember seeing the sixth sense before you knew anything about like the twist that was a that was well rosie wild. o'donnell famously ruined it for everybody for that in fight club she straight up was like on her show hosting and she goes I don't know. With Fight Club, it's different than Sixth Sense because he gave, he gives the business card. And I just remember Rosie O'Donnell kind of doing that on national television. I was like, what the fuck is like, I, I even as a kid, I was like, oh, or I was in junior high. Oh, when did those come out? She spoiled. Oh, maybe they didn't come out at the same time. I don't know. 
Um, but H2O. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween H2O. Yeah. Yeah, like I can't remember. Like I definitely saw the Halloween that came out. The one oh my with God. um Oh what? You know what movie really scared me? It was the taking of Deborah Logan. What the fuck is that? That feels like you improvised it. What are you talking about? <laughs> it is so scary. Hold on. And my husband's name is Jared Logan. I'm the- sending you screenshots. It's the most fucked up movie. Okay, hold on. I'm going to send you a crazy screenshot. Do you think I can send it into the notes? Okay, hold on. I'm just going to do a okay, link hold into on. it. I'm, se- I'm, sending my- I'm sending Jared a text. Have you ever seen the taking of Jared? Uh, have you ever seen the taking of Deborah Logan? I almost said the t- the taking of Jared Logan. <laughs> I don't know how to share a screen, which is embarrassing. I think um, Zoom has been out for years. Okay. Um, I'm going to chat you the Google. Oh, my God. Why can't I can't even find the chat? <laughs> okay. Okay. Click I on see that it. link. It's just a Google image thing, but then just ah, scroll no, down. I don't want to see down. this lady. Scroll down and then to the right and stuff. What the fuck, Lisa? <laughs> no. Okay. I just sent Jared that text and then I saw that. The, and then what popped up was Jared has notifications silenced. So <laughs> he read that text and was like, not now. And silenced his phone. <laughs> yeah, I don't even know how to silence. Everyone's always silencing their shit. Um, but I'm always on my phone. I don't need to silence anything. So I watched this with a few people and then... I had to walk home. I was living in Williamsburg and I went to someone's house in Williamsburg and then I had to walk home and I was so scared. I kept like jumping into bodegas to like get myself together because I was just like stoned, scared, terrified. That was, that one scared, but I get scared. I, I, that's, I, one time we were on a flight and Mateo was in front of me and I screamed so loud that he slowly picked up his head and like gave me the dirtiest look and I was watching <laughs> the gift with Jason Bateman. <laughs> no, that movie has jump scares. That movie has jump scares. I've saw that movie and that movie has jump scares. It is scary. Yeah. I give you that one. Also, I saw The Conjuring in the theater with Jared and I screamed like a cartoon character at a point that everybody in the theater was like, what's going on? But along the lines of your Williamsburg thing, you know, after I saw Blair Witch, I was living, I was at camp. I was a counselor. So I saw it and then I had to go back to my tent in the woods. Like it was terrifying. I'll never forget it. Um, Because also my brother had told me that it was real. (laughs) So I was, he was like, yeah, it's found footage. Like it's based on this like documentary that they found that these kids were making. And I was like, wait, what? So I went to it thinking it was real. (laughs) Jared said, no, I heard it was bad. I'm like, yeah, but it's your great grandma, Deborah Logan. Oh, I didn't even put that together. <laughs> Send him that photo of her like eating the person. And I feel okay. like he'll want to And then I'll be like, it. and what do you think about this? Wait, Casey, <laughs> yeah. you're a huge horror guy. Yes. Is, do you like the taking of Deborah Logan? I've never heard of this movie before. Oh, wow. Uh, it looks scary. It look, It says it's set in Virginia. Isn't Jared from West Virginia? West Virginia. What oh the fuck? God. What, he goes, what's crazy is, is it, it's about my great aunt. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, Casey, what are the horror yes. movies that have good acting? Uh, the Exorcist is really good acting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The Shining. Oh, Those The are Shining, kind of for sure. The Shining is so good. I just feel like there is so many like comically bad horror movies in the 80s that just don't have 
a lot of good acting. So I don't think you're wrong, Kara. But now yeah, you reminded yeah. me, Chainsaw Massacre is great acting. Yeah. Oh, really? That one scared me. Oh, yeah. She's like running at the end. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like pretty wild. Well, guys, listen, there's only 51 more weeks until Halloween of 2024. (laughs) So I'm glad we could cover this. Um, uh, Should we get our episode humiliating to be doing this in November. It really is. It really is. But I, I, you know what? Time is just an illusion. That's what I say. There are things to haunt us all around us. Oh um, but Just, let's, um, let's, uh, uh, another reminder, go to that's messed up live.com, see us live. And then don't go anywhere because we're about to start a really, I hate to say one of my favorite episodes, but I do really like this episode a lot. We're doing tortured season four, episode 16. It came out on Valentine's day. That would have been a romantic night in that would have been nice. <laughs> Cozying up with a spouse and watching a nice little uh, torture SVU. <laughs> and this episode, it, I always get, I always think this episode tortured is going to be the episode Inheritance, which is where the, because it, isn't that one about feet too? Or no, it's just about. No, I don't know why. I think it's like a mother and a son thing. I think it's like the yes. mother son thing that is like what always reminds me of it. But I, oh, I yeah. do the exact same thing. I always think tortured inheritance, but whatever. This one is really good. It's a classic. We've wanted to do this for a really long time, and we're so lucky to be here today. And we could all pretend it's Valentine's Day in 2003. The towers just fell recently, and we have not forgotten. (laughs) God, you know, I always think, like, what if Al Gore won? I always think that. That is my Roman Empire. Okay. (laughs) What if Al Gore won? Okay. We open up on a John and Trick type moment, and I never understand why sex worker was ever called Trick. There are no tricks. It's an exchange of services. What? What's the trick? Yeah. You know who a trick <laughs> is? A, a, a magician, you know, a little card guy. <laughs> like, you're paying for sex. I don't understand what the trick right. is. It's like they want it for free. Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> but... Uh, a man is like, all right, we're good to go. Right. And then, a, but a phone rings and they both check if it's their phones. It's, you know, early days of cell phones. It's exciting. And uh, she says, I got to take this and makes a sound. Oh, and then he, she says to him, make a sound and I'll cut your balls off. And he understands. She says, hi, sweetie. Mommy will be home soon. Wake the sitter. And the guy's like, what the hell? Cause I mean, nothing, um, you know, shuts down a boner more than a mother talking to her child. And so <laughs> unless you're some of the criminals we have covered on this very program, <laughs> he runs off, but then turns around and is like, wait, can I at least get my money back? And she waves him off like, OK, <laughs> like, fuck off. So I'm pretty happy. Maybe she is a trick. You know what I mean? She uh, <laughs> that's the trick she does every time she's about to do it. She's like, hold on, I'm getting a call from my kid. <laughs> Um, so he marches off in a tizzy and goes, I'll find a hotter piece of ass with a lot less baggage. But instead, he finds a dead piece of ass. Oof. So there is a body in a broad short skirt. She's sitting upright near the dumpsters um, and like garbage. And then immediately we go to a uniformed cop that's bringing Benson and Stabler to the scene and tells them what's what. Um, they're like, oh, you saw the attack? And she's like, nope, the discovery, though. This tough guy really screamed a bunch. 
this is stupid. So they ask, you know, the sex worker, like, did you see anything? She goes, no, just we found, <laughs> we, I saw the body because this tough guy started screaming. <laughs> but uh, she says she didn't see anything. Benson and Stabler approached the body and there's ligature marks around the neck. No other apparent wounds except for the skirt. It's been cut short. Um, and then Stabler notices on the boot, there's some blood and he wants to like put it in an evidence bag. And then when he unzips the boot, her foot is cut off. It is just an ankle dripping blood in the boot. Ooh. Benson makes an announcement. Anybody find a severed foot? Right off of severed foot. <laughs> and where do we open? The morgue, of course. Uh, Melinda's <laughs> there. And she explains to Benson and Stabler that it wasn't one smooth hack job. It was like really chewed up in a sawed up situation. Ugh. And she said it's a serrated and not thick blade. So kind of an upper end knife. No bruising and clotting. Um, so she was already dead before the foot chop. He used a braided type wire and she sprays something um, on the body and it glows, showing that the wire residue was copper. Um, and it glows like James and the Giant Peach. Do you, Did you watch that? Have I've never seen, seen that. I've never seen that. There's like glowy little bugs and that's what like makes everything grow. <laughs> but um, her unfortunate dead neck did glow like mystical little bugs in the yeah. James and the Giant Peach. It's a really sweet story. I read it in fourth grade. So no hits on her DNA, no STDs and no cervical diplasia. So probably not a pro. And all they have on her is that she's Asian in mid 20s. Melinda then adds more gruesome details. She had a painful past. There were healed burn marks on the genitals from an electroshock device. Oof. And in her wrist, the bones were disrupted and there's tears and rotator cuffs. So she was hung by her wrists and tortured. So we go to work in the squad room. Cragen asks if the old attacker is the new attacker. And of course, maybe, but there's a two-year gap in attacks. So Finn goes, well, if the first one was even an attack. And they're like, shut the fuck up. This is not self-inflicted. Um, we also have nothing for missing persons yet. And it's a full house. You know, Belzer, Huang, everyone's there, all hands on deck. And now we're debating the cause um, because Finn is convinced this is SNM and a painful game of shock the kitty. I never um, want to hear that sentence no, again. No, erase it. No. <laughs> and Cragen's like, I understand getting kinky, but it's not like she was spanked to death, dude. And so, yeah, Finn is just very into the BDSM community, apparently. He's like, yeah, but maybe she was down with whips and chains, but not with the cattle prod. And Cragen's like, get a room for yourself. You're crazy. <laughs> No, he's not convinced. So it's like, Huang, what do you think? He thinks the marks are a sign of political torture used by uh, the Chinese military occupying Tibet. So then Munch gets sassy as hell and is like, well, maybe she was a nun, their favorite target. And according to that, like, you know, that's their favorite target, according to Physicians for Human Rights. And then Huang's like, uh, yeah, I'm a member of that club. <laughs> It's really strange. Like, the, did, did you catch this? The way even Munch goes, yeah, what do you think, Agent Huang? Ah. Like, did you not catch any of this? Am I no. in my own little, like, it seemed like there was sass in between them. Oh, maybe. I, well, you know, Bel uh, Munch likes to, like, sort of do a lot of conspiracy, and then Huang comes in with the science, so I'm sure that they butt heads a little bit, you know? 
Yeah. And Munch, um, his transitional lenses are popping. <laughs> they are popping. <laughs> so then they're like, oh, maybe someone came looking for her here in the States. Like, you know, she's been seeking political asylum, like maybe from her, someone from her past, like is getting to her for supporting Tibet. So let's go check with INS. Finn and Munch go visit a blonde board bitch. And she's like, <laughs> excuse me, do you even know how many immigrants we get a year? And out of a million, 10% claim to be political refugees. And then there's a million and a half who try to sneak in illegally. She is annoyed and she is sassy. She does not belong in this job. And Munch reminds her of the sign above, you know, the huddled masses, the poor Ellis Island stuff. And we get a hit on the print. Her name is uh, Kun Song Tashi. And Huang is right. She was born in Tibet and she got in on a marriage visa. And her husband is Preston Bennett. So they go to BNC shipping. Benson and Stabler are there. And him um, and Kim Song, he explains, they met at a bazaar in Dahar Masala. Sounds like a delicious dish. That's disrespectful. <laughs> but I'm thinking of tiki masala, obviously. Um, but, you know, they met at a bazaar and he found an old stone, but the merchant didn't speak English. And she walked by and interpreted for them. And that's that. And they fell in love. They look at the wedding photo and Sandler's like, well, how's your relationship now? He is crying. And the actor is known for In Plain Sight, where the lead lady is Mary McCormick. And she I didn't know that this was the premise. Do you know what the premise of In Plain Sight is? No, don't read it. OK, um, she hunts down witnesses for trial that are in witness protection. Oh, that's kind of cool. So she has to find people that are being hidden to, like, bring them back to, like, Test. be a witness. I, didn't know I don't know. That. I kind Interesting. of love it. Um, but he was in 61 episodes. His name is Frederick Weller. He's working. OK, so he sniffles after some tears and he goes, we never fought. Not once. That's nuts. That's like saying he never heard a fly. We don't believe that. Yeah, shit. yeah. Everyone fights. That's part of being human. And Stabler is like, dude, it's fucking odd. You didn't report her missing. And he's like, well, I assume she was just at the center. There's a program at Bellevue for torture survivors. And, you know, she was tortured for attending a demonstration. Cops came, rounded them up, kept, um, kept her for a month. And Benson's like, well, are, you know, are there issues at the center? He says, no, they, you know, we love the center. The center changed her life. She was there a bunch. She does group therapy and interpreting. And when a new survivor enters the program, she would sit with them. Sabler gets really close to him and goes, I'm not buying it really all night without calling. And he's backed up against the wall and he's like, yeah, Benson and Sabler walk out and Sabler's like, again, not buying it, not buying it. And he goes, like, if Kathy didn't come home, he would be out looking for her. And it's like, babe, you're the one gone all night, okay? And it's your job to go look for people. So <laughs> like, what? And then I'm like, well, who's taking care of the kids if Kathy's gone and you're out looking for people all night? Like, what happens? <laughs> and then Benson, we're on the same feminist team. She throws it in his face and goes, I'm sorry, how often are you on a case and you don't call Kathy? And he goes, it's different. I'm on the job. And Benson's like, well, it seems like she was too. So we go to the center and there are candles lit and a woman explains that she um, was here listening to victim stories all the time, even if it brought up old wounds for her. And this actress is Jodie Long and she was in Margaret Cho's sitcom All American Girl. And most famously for me, she was a power lesbian in the Sex and the City episode yes. with Melinda Warner. Yes, they're in the same posse of power lesbians at, at that Charlotte befriends. And the episode's called The Cheating Curve. And one of her big lines is, if you don't eat pussy, you're not one of us. So that's like, (laughs) 
Um, oh no, she got. It's actually a wilder line. She goes, "If you don't eat pussy, you're not a dyke." I think is, yeah. uh, is the the direct quote. <laughs> um, so sorry if that's a word you don't like. Um, honestly, an amazing career spanning decades. Um, she she works. So she goes into detail about her torture and basically like Kim Song was stripped naked, held in a small cage without food, beaten around the clock, electroshock batons and rape. And they hear some voices and it's a member of the Tibetan support group that Kun Song, um, it's her group and they're holding a memorial for her and they chat a little bit and Sabler asks about the husband and she's very matter of fact goes, there is no marital discord and walks away. And this is just not really rubbing them the right way. Also, um, while I was in Chicago uh, recently, there was, it was really small. It was just like five or six people and a few kids with signs. There was a little, um, you know, protest. They were singing songs. And basically people that have escaped North Korea go to China and China is like sending them back. Oh God. And they obviously get killed. Their families get killed. You know, it's like horrible um, what happens to them. But and so it was like, you know, they're singing for China to let people stay. And why won't China let people? Stay? I don't understand. But we're we live in America and we're not helping people. But like to escape North Korea, that's so hard. Yeah. Why wouldn't you help these people? Oh, I don't think you're supposed to have all the answers. I don't know why I keep looking to you. But. <laughs> Um, it's just something I didn't know that was going on. So if anyone's like yeah. educated and what's happening, please let me know. I'm really um, curious. So Benson is like, listen, it's just really hard to believe someone with this much trauma just has an easy breezy time in a relationship. No discord, no fights, no nothing. Like, obviously things come up. And she is like, listen, he cared about her deeply and was over, oh, very overly protective. And they're like, who does she need protection from? And the center director is like, you, duh. Like, you know, the whole purpose of torture is to break a person's um, will and destroy their humanity. And there's a, a certain degree of paranoia that comes with it and that's not uncommon so Sabler's like hold up I mean maybe it wasn't just paranoia like look what happened and our power lesbian goes yeah I mean their tormentors can totally come here just as the survivors have but she, she did get into like recently got into activism really heavy and she met another torture victim and they got along and her name is Dechen Gyatso and um, that's who took her to her first protest. And so we had to find her and Munch and Finn are at the protest and it's Tibet for Tibetans. And they head straight to the woman with a bullhorn who right away, class, classic, classic, is we have a right to be here. We have our permits. We have a bullhorn permit. And Munch's like, babe, we're on your side. You don't even know. We're here to talk about Kun Song. And we find out that Kun Song did something um did some protesting in front of a brokerage firm um, that is funding a pipeline through Tibet, but they're hurting them and they forced us to only like, so basically because of the protesting, it forced the U.S. to only give them like 5 billion instead of 7 billion, which to me doesn't seem like that big of a win. But then Finn says, I've seen men kill for a pizza. So $2 billion could be worth killing for. And they ask if there was any roughing up. And she's like, no, um, this is Times Square. Like, this is really tame. We're used to more. Um, there were no cops, no issues. She was the only one taken away by her husband. Done, done. What? 
So we find out that he was yelling. She was crying. He pulled her out of line and she did not finish the protest. And we're like, excuse me, you said you guys never fought. So we're immediately in the cement room bars and Sabre's like, well, and he's like, it wasn't a fight. And they're like, we heard that you dragged your wife away in tears. Start talking. Benson and Sabre are yelling while the husband is yelling. How like you don't get it. I was just trying to protect her. And he explains that they were close to the end of their probation period with the INS. And if she had been arrested or anything happened, it would have fucked up their lives. And he just doesn't want her to get deported. That's it. Finn comes in and goes, uh-oh, there's a record. He hasn't been arrested before, but 911 was called to his residence. What was it? He blames a neighbor for misinterpreting something, but it was screams and yells in the night. And Sabler's like, how is that open to interpretation? And it's like, it's torture nightmares. You just learned she was tortured. You <laughs> detectives, like you know, she has night terrors. Like, yeah, I just hate when they play dumb and like ignore all the evidence. But he is pleading with them, like it's nightmares. And I'm a Buddhist. I would never take a life. A white Buddhist. That's tough. So then they talk to the neighbor, and Finn is like, "Well, you threatened him," and he's like, "Yeah, you know how much trauma calling the cops caused us. Like, you know, it fucked her up. They just like." I'm with I'm on this guy's side, like very rarely, but I'm on this guy's side. Like he's been out like forthright about the torture of it all. Like, come on. He's not giving murdered my wife and cut off her foot and left her in an alley. He's not giving that. <laughs> no. And the detectives know she's been through a lot and that nightmares are common and that calling the cops would be fucked up for her. Like, I just it's annoying me. I hate when they act dumb and forget all of their training and knowledge and care. So but he's smart and he knows he's free to leave. So he storms off in an angry rage and Stabler goes, he's lying. So now it's bustling office time. Stabler, Stabler doesn't like that everything is explained away by her past. Like, you know, but I also believe that. And Cragen's like, maybe he is lying, but but the paper trails don't. So is there an insurance policy on his wife? Nope. Is the alibi he was home alone? Luz, no calls. Munch pulled financials and he did have a charge at 6 p.m. that night at a Tibetan restaurant. Hello, Dolly. Like Dolly <laughs> Lama. I do love that pun name. Hello, Dolly. <laughs> love it. Love it. And it's in the village and they rush over there and Finn and Munch um, take the lunch duty. And the restaurant dude knows them, but they haven't been there in a couple as a couple for weeks and weeks. But according to the credit card receipt, he was there last Tuesday. He goes, yeah, 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 not him. She was there for sure. And they were the only ones in the restaurant. And she was with a man, brown hair, 30-ish, perfect tan in February, and left a hefty tip. And they're like, no, 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 hold up. It was the husband's card, which means she paid. And he goes, no, he signed. And he's going to check for the receipt. So they're like, oh, my God, she was cheating on him using his card this is fucking <laughs> and they're like signing the husbands with the card that's cold so the manager comes out and he's like so what is the trouble they're like well at least it's identity theft like someone else signed for mr bennett's card and the dude's like no it's an authorized signer on the card mr chambers it's mr bennett's partner their work business partners and finn's like the triangle thickens <laughs> and they go to talk to chambers and it's a classic svu actor who's been in a few episodes his name is paul fitzgerald um, he was in season 19, Contrapasso, which we covered. And he's the teacher who gets his balls cut off. And then there's a oh, conch show. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Kathleen Monroe was our guest for that. And then season 14, he was in Criminal Hatred. And it's the gay hatred one with Nia Verdalos, where the guy, like, hates himself for being gay and 
Yeah. Like, whatever. So, and for my Veep heads, he's in a few episodes of Veep as Owen Pierce, you know, one of the idiots in government. So, and he's in everything. The Americans, mentalists, Nip Tuck, he works. Benson and Stabler say they want to talk about Song Bennett, and he's like, not a good time. Bye, guys. And they're like, well, we would have talked to you the day her body was discovered, but at the time, we didn't know that you were having a torrid little affair. And he's like, LOL, I'm not banging his wife. And then he tries to close the door. They threaten him with prison and let him know that he was the last person to see her alive. And a man is in the house. And guess who else it is? It is her husband. It is the original husband, our Buddhist friend. They are together. They are gay. The marriage was a sham. Wow. Yeah. They never say that they're gay, but they're gay, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's bearding for him. Yeah. So he cares for her and it was the way, it was the only way to bring her here. Like, um, and they're like, well, why would you obstruct a murder investigation? He's like, I fucking panicked. Like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I was scared. Um, you know, we violated federal immigration laws. The INS could put me in prison and take away my business. So they're like, you better fill us in on everything. Because if you've been quiet and we can't find something, this is bullshit. And so they're like, what happened at dinner? Like, tell us everything. So Stabler's in this dude's face and he says, it was a bury the hatchet dinner. So they're like, oh, wow, there were problems. And he goes, Yes, listen, she's very sweet. I We love her, but this was going on three years. It obviously put a strain on our relationship. Yeah, they did talk about being gay. I'm an idiot. Um, I was like, I don't want to jump to conclusions. Okay, so, <laughs> and like, you know, she sensed the tension and that's why she moved out. But they put the apartment in this, you know, very tan man's name. So INS wouldn't find out. So they go to the apartment, big team, no sign of blood, no sign of struggle. They're looking through her place. She has no messages. And Benson's like, I guess she wasn't very popular. Okay, she's dead. <laughs> so Let's rude. Have some <laughs> then there are classifieds and stars next to some used furniture. And Sandler's like, well, she needed it. Like, they're dissing her apartment. They're dissing her. She has no friends. It's like, this bitch escaped torture and, like, scream here as to hide a fake marriage until she can become a citizen. Like, back off. (laughs) Sorry, she's not popular with an interior design degree, guys. (laughs) They are roasting her. Have some respect for the dead detectives. But she was going to go see one of the couches the day she fucking died. So they go to Polly's apartment and it's a Sopranos guy, Steve Sherpa, Bobby Bacala, Bacalara. I don't care. I don't, Sopranos doesn't do it for me. Uh, it's good. The acting's good. I love James Gandolfini, but I'm an enough said fan. And I love the movie, The Mexican. Yeah. That's just me. <laughs> so now, wait, have you seen the thing where someone's like, I tried to dress like Sophia Richie, but instead I look like a mob boss? It's like, <laughs> no, I haven't. It's really funny. Um, you know, TikTok, TikTok, our brains are rotting. Um, but this guy, I didn't know he was such a big actor. He's like, on, uh, he was in 130 episodes of Blue Bloods and 110 episodes of The Secret Life of the American Teenager. Wow. So I didn't know yeah. there were so many episodes of that second show. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah. That, that's like the how- secret. The secret <laughs> is that The Secret Life of the American Teenager has been on for a long time. Yeah, we should do an over-under on how many teen pregnancies there were. It's like Degrassi. It's like, okay, we got a cutter. We got an eating disorder. We got a cheating. We got someone being a goth. We got a divorce. We got someone poor. You know, it's like, what are we doing? So he says that he's been waiting. He waited for her, but she never showed up. And Sabler notices the couch is not the one from the ad. And he's like, yeah, I sold it to a sorority girl type, like a Buffy or a Cindy, something like that. 
Buffy is your go-to name. Cindy, you're <laughs> obviously old man. <laughs> and by the way, he's in a white tank top referred to by others as a wife beater and by me when I'm not on uh, an SVU podcast. And then he's also wearing a short sleeve black and gold silk dress shirt, like a Versace-esque vibe. And they're like, you know, dude, you don't really strike us as a floral, shabby, chic kind of guy, which is how the couch was described in the ad. I just didn't think it was important to add in the in the notes, but I guess it was. And he's like, nope, I'm not. It belonged to my ex. That's why I was getting rid of it. He's got an answer for everything. And Benson's like, oh, why would she leave a catch like you? And it's like, he truly hasn't done anything. <laughs> like, he's just in his home drinking. Like, we, he, he hasn't done anything wrong yet. <laughs> But he says the reason his um, the girl left him is because she's a whore and she found a fatter wallet. So my bad. Benson was right. She's always right. And he does suck. And he's like, that worthless bitch couldn't boil water. Yeah. <laughs> so okay. We hate him. We hate him. We hate him. <laughs> At first, I'm like, leave this guy alone. He just was trying to sell a couch. And now I'm like, cut off his dick. <laughs> Benson's... Um, going off like this is a perfect scam like how else would you get women to just enter your home and classifieds are super cheap and so it's like a perfect way to get women there and like we don't even know if the couch ever even existed and so they're working on getting some history um the poly guy has two drunken disorderlies and then ring ring it's the lab and we head to the lab they have something on the boots it's daniel sunjata sexy green eyes hello james holt from devil wears prada if you're new to the pod and then the shoes are a size nine which is weird because the victim's shoe size was a six and a half. So what's going on? Then, of course, Benson, bougie Benson, notices their Jacques Lacour. And those are $700 boots. What's going on? She knows exactly the price. She knows her luxury items, this bitch. (laughs) And they have no evidence of her actually walking in them. And Benson's like, but there's scuff marks. And he goes, yeah, but that's not hers. She's actually pigeon-toed. So these scuff marks wouldn't be hers. I mean, the way she is roasted after death is pretty (laughs) wild for everything she's been through. So Finn and Munch go to the store and the tendon is being like an okay level of helpful. The shoe they're showing though is a a prototype that's never been sold. It's supposed to hit shelves next month. So who had access to it? Lori Schneider is who reps the account. So they rush over to her, flash, flash, flash. They're like in the middle of a fashion show. (laughs) Fashion shows last maybe 15 minutes. I've been to one fashion week show. It was not high class in any way. Um, Quick, they're yeah. quick. Even if it's even if it's fifty outfits, the bitches are walking fast. Like, yeah, you yeah. have to fuck her up in the middle of a dress rehearsal. Like, <laughs> I just know about fashion shows from Top Model and like. No, and I used you know, to Project I used to get Runway. my nails done at a place where they were constantly showing fashion shows. They are like fifteen or twenty minutes. Like, and sometimes they're only like you know fifteen looks. Oh my god! If I could watch a fashion show as I was getting a mani pedi, I would be in heaven. Oh yeah, it's in I West Hollywood. In it was a great place. That's is it close? No, I think it's not unless the pandemic got it. I just don't go there oh, anymore okay. because I live over here. <laughs> of course, of course. Uh, <laughs> we wish you luck. Okay, so <laughs> so they're interrupting this fashion show that's so hectic, so crazy, models everywhere, but they have to talk to her right now. And she goes, I have two minutes. <laughs> so they bring up the shoe. She goes, the only model um, who's a size nine is Crystal. She wore them last month. They're not supposed to take the shoes, obviously, but also she's in Milan right now. So the woman's not being helpful. And the detectives finally have to be like, listen, lady, this is a murder investigation. Like, can you please give us the real scoop? 
She goes, fine. Okay. She didn't take them. I took them. I thought I was going on a hot date, but it wasn't hot at all. He took me bowling. Uh, He didn't touch her. And then her boots disappeared from the bowling alley. And it was 20 degrees outside. And she rode a car in her stockings. And Munch goes, well, at least you have your feet. The other girl wasn't so lucky. She's in the middle of a work day. You don't have to yeah, tell like her there's not a woman her fault. with missing feet. <laughs> yeah. so, so, you know, she thought it was like the theft of the boot. Like, okay. Did you so ever you like get your permission. jacket stolen in New York though in the freezing winter? No, obviously you have. You seem very passionate. That's happened to me and you have to like go home like in a tube top, like freezing fucking cold on a Saturday night. That's happened to me before and I hate it. Oh, one of my um, friends posted a photo and it's like, it's Chicago girls are built different. And it's just like a group of Chicago girls walking in the snow and heels and like tiny club dresses. And this was me back in the day. This was totally me. We were built different in our 20s. I mean, I... I mean, I would just wear like skimpy outfits with like a winter coat over it and then shove my coat into the corner of like a bar somewhere. And then it got stolen one time and I truly had to walk home half nude and I was so freezing. So fuck those people. Coat thieves. Yeah. We're, gosh, the youth. What is it? The youth is wasted on the young. (laughs) So we're at a bowling alley. You know, this girl had a terrible date at a bowling alley. How do you feel about bowling alley for first dates? Not first date, but Jared and I did just go to a beautiful dinner and then bowling for our eight-year wedding anniversary, and we had a blast. I love bowling. Bowling's fine, but, but a, on a first, first date, date, no, that's like too. That's too down in the like. I, I it's not. That's not good. You want to like get to know each other. I think a little bit more before you like just start throwing heavy balls down a lane. Yeah. So we're at the bowling alley. We're talking to the counter guy and he um, he's like, oh, yeah, she was hitting on me. She didn't even want to be here with that date. She hated him. He, she you know, she liked me. He worked concessions, though, not the shoe counter that night. And he brought tons of beer to them. That's why he like really remembers her. And, you know, she's obviously, you know, works in fashion. I'm sure she looked extra cool. Um, they ask how often the shoes get stolen. And during the chat, though. The bowling work never ends. So he asks a man named Jerry. He's like, hey, go tend to some pins. That lane needs your help. So, you know, they're talking about missing shoes. He goes, not that often. You know, sometimes pranks and stuff. People are wasted, so they forget them. Like, some people know shit. I don't know what to tell you. So they end up going to Jerry and being like, how's working for counterboy Marshall, the kingpin of the bowling alley? And, and Jerry goes, I fucking hate this guy. And Stabler's like, is he annoying to everyone as he is to us? And he's like, oh, he's disgusting. He hits on every girl that walks in there. It's pathetic. And he goes, and they all reject him. And Stabler pushes, like, anything else? Like, any theft? Does he steal? He's like, I wouldn't put it past him. So now we're back in the office. But this bowling guy, they checked his record. It's clear. Benson goes, yeah, but he was young, so maybe he's never been caught before. And then someone's like, well, or maybe never reported. It's just a pair of shoes. Who would report, like, shoes? And Munch uh, does a pushpin map now of all the crimes that have to do with shoes. And Benson and goes, well, why shoes? And Huang pops out of nowhere. Fetish. Arousal by shoes, feet, or smelly socks. And Munch doesn't get it, but Huang is like, I mean, basically there's a cross-wiring. The control map of the brain and the genitals are really, and like genitals and feet are right next to each other. So if there's any sort of mixing and matching, the genital feet stuff, they they cross. But I looked this up and apparently it's pop science. Apparently it's not. Oh, really? It's like there's... Like, some people were arguing online. There's really, like, no articles that are reputable that say that this is real. And there's different doctors on. 
online. Like one biologist on Instagram is like, this is why so many people have foot fetishes. It's because of exactly what the episode says. And then other doctors are like, that's not true at all. Like the the brain doesn't rewire like that. Like the brain doesn't cross wire like that. So it's, it's, I think it's hard to prove, but it's cool. It's something I've always thought like, you know, famously like Quentin Tarantino has a foot fetish and I'm like, oh, I wonder if it's like a cross wiring because of the sex thing. Like I learned on SVU, but I don't know if it's real. Whitney Cummings says it's be <laughs> on her podcast all the time. It's because toes look like little dicks or something. <laughs> and like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure that's a joke. <laughs> Cragen's like enough fetish talk. Let's talk the crime. So they're back to the map work. And Huang sees one that's green and he goes, well, this is a violent. He's like, what does this mean? And Munch goes violent attack. And Huang goes, okay, that's weird. Fetishes usually are not like violent related. And so this crime was two weeks ago. It was an NYU grad named Greta and she was choked. And then when she woke up, her shoes were gone. So now we're going to show the photo of Polly to her and maybe it's him. So Benson is walking with a purple fluffy earmuff woman and she's like, I'm running late for class. And I don't know what else you want from me. And Benson's like, well, I noticed, you know, nice running shoes. She goes, well, I used to wear heels all the time, but now I'm too scared to wear them. So running shoes all day. And she feels like she's not even the same person anymore. And the whole thing is like, she's short. And I just, I didn't realize being a short woman has any effect on people. You know what I mean? Because we remember took a photo with a woman who like kept moving the camera wildly. So she looked taller yeah. in a selfish way. And it's like, well, we all look horrible because of this. Like, who cares <laughs> if you're short? I don't get it. Like people like short girl. I don't under like to wear three inch or four inch heels every day to look a little taller. It just couldn't be me. I know. I guess the grass is always greener. It's like people just like short, like girls with small boobs want to have big boobs. Girls with big boobs wish they were smaller. You know, it's like. It is weird, though, like shortness is I'm just short and I never have been like, God, I wish I was taller. You know, I just <laughs> I don't know. I get it for guys, but maybe if you really loved sports. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> so that's why she, you know, wore heels. She was short like uh, Adrian Maloof. And now she wears sneakers all the time. And um, so all she remembers is it was dark. All of a sudden, hands are on her throat. She came up, uh, you know, she she didn't see his face. It was all from behind. But because he came from behind, she then hit her head onto his chin. So now they know her height. She was 5'3 in the heels. So that means he was 5'8 or 5'10. She was in classes and she goes to a bakery. And that's all she really does. And the bakery's on Houston and Sullivan. And she was walking back from the bakery when it happened. And Polly lives right on house and by the bakery. So they go to the bakery. It's Ma's bakery. And the bakery woman remembers Greta. Um, she hasn't been in for a while though, uh, but she always like hated the dorm food. You're a grad student, get an apartment. <laughs> okay. So the bakery looks uh, cute and really, really fun. And the woman is Margaret Collin, who is um, an anti-abortion person. So who cares about her credits? <laughs> So then the detectives are like, do you know this much about all of your customers, about the dorm food and all of that? And she goes, yeah, you know, everyone that comes in usually lives in a 10 block radius. And I mostly know them by all the orders. They show a photo of Kun Song and she doesn't remember her. So how many employees work there? She goes, Michael, Rodney. And then there's a little boy, Brandon. And they show the poly photo. And the little boy goes, yeah, pumpernickel and olive oil. And what's funny is that's a disgusting order. <laughs> uh, does that mean 
But also this little boy looks like he'd be an Oliver Twist time. Like he is not a boy of our modern times. Yeah, he looks, he truly looks like he he hopped in a time machine. Yes, he's an yeah, Oliver Twist. He, he is an Irish little ghost because he does not look like a modern child. <laughs> Please, sir, I'd like some more pumpernickel. Yeah. <laughs> so he's a regular. And then they put Polly um, in a cement bar room and Benson's going to play some games. She walks in wearing pumps. High heeled Benson looking sexy. He's like, I didn't do anything. And he didn't get hard over the heels. So they're like, fuck, you know, we're done. <laughs> and he go, and he's like, how can I prove to you? I did not know it. And they say, search your apartment. He agrees. And they find nothing. Daniel Sunjata looked at everything, not even a hair in the drain. They dusted everything everything. Then another dork comes in and he found something. So in Kun Song's room, there was a notepad with a grocery list on it. And so, but they have technology that they can recover identifying writing three, four pages beneath the OG, like with the impressions. And they did find something. They found something that said couch 642 East Houston Street, apartment 2A after six. That's not Polly's address though. His address is 462. So they go to 642 right next to the bakery. Mama Bakery comes out and is like, oh, my God, you're just in time for fresh banana bread, which I love. Claudia's in Brooklyn, best banana bread ever. Shout out to my favorite place on Bushwick Ave. So then they ask if she, I can't believe I'm doing banana bread call outs. (laughs) So then they ask if she knows who lives right next door. And she goes, yeah, it's me. And they're like, okay, well. I mean, she was looking for furniture, maybe not a customer. Can you look at this photo of this woman again? And she goes, well, I wasn't selling any furniture, so there's no way I would have seen her. And they're like, who else lives there? Just you and that little Brandon? He goes, well, and, you know, his half-brother, my other son, Jerry. So she calls up and she's like, Jerry. He opens the window. Guess who it is? It's the motherfucker from the bowling alley. Not the counter guy, but the guy who hates the counter guy work in the lanes and they keep him in interrogation and they walk in with just boxes and boxes of stuff from the apartment. They found his secret stash and it's all shoes. And he flips out, don't touch my things. And they go, your things. We've tied half of these to burglaries in the neighborhood. And they talked to his mom too. And he's like, oh yeah, you know, she revealed that he's loved heels and shoes since he was five years old. And then he goes, I'm not gay. And it's like, Oh, yeah, yeah, this seems worse. Uh, (laughs) Piles of stolen women's shoes and a dead body with a severed foot. Honey, we wish you were gay. Yeah. (laughs) So he just... He's like, I just like the way the shoes look. I collect them. It's harmless. And they push him. They're like, fuck you, harmless. So what he says was he usually just follows the women home, sees where they live, and then gets them later. And the NYU grad student was the first time he ever hurt anyone. And then Benson goes, well, it wasn't your last. And then they show the photo of Song, And then um, they say that they found blood all over the mom's delivery van. And then they say, and we know you use the van to dump her body. And we know she came to your apartment by accident looking to buy a couch. He sighs. He knows he's been got. Stabler pulls the red uh, boot out of his box and goes, does this help? And it's in a bag. He touches it. And he goes, she was like something out of my dreams. So I invited her in. She just had the most perfect tiny feet. All I did was compliment her. Things were going really well until she asked where the couch was. And then she ran for the door. I stopped her. I asked her to try on a pair of shoes for me. She told me I was sick. His lips are quivering. He snaps. So Stabler is like, for sure, dude. So you didn't mean to kill her? He's like, exactly. He was just rewiring his TV when she came in. And they're like, oh, the wire from the crowd. We got you now. Yeah. And then Benson asks, why did you cut off her foot? And he goes, well, just for my collection, the shoes look better with like a real foot in it. 
Oh. And they're both grossed out. Both of them make really funny faces. So now it's Cabot time. She's in a walk and talk with someone else. And behind her is Ileana Douglas. And she runs in being like, girly, can we chat? And I love her. Uh-huh. Um, she was in Ghost World, if you're wondering. She was the art teacher. That's how I know her. So she's defending Footboy and Cabot looks down and goes, nice shoes. And they're like flat, like tap dance shoes, like laced up. She goes, I hate them too, but they're the only ones that my client will go insane over. So we can focus <laughs> if I wear these. If I wear nice shoes, Jerry can't focus. And basically she's like, we're doing a psych eval. And Cabot's like, wow, how original. And she also has like physical evaluations, neurological exams, IQ. Cabot's not interested. She does not give a fuck. Trial time. So we have a doctor on the stand and we talk frontal lobe stuff and how that's the impulse control center. And Ileana Douglas um, is like, so if, you know, it holds urges, that's what happens. So if your frontal lobe, even if you have a wild urge, it, it keeps it tight. The guy did tests on Dupree, that's Jerry Dupree, and his frontal lobe is fucked, which means he can't hold on to stuff. He had a subdural hematoma, and that means there was so much frontal lobe pressure, and so it can produce radical personality changes. He has decreased frontal uh, brain activity stemming from an injury, which means how a gentle, meek person becomes a violent person, and it disinhibits people, and they can't control their urges. But now it's Cabot's turn, and she is about to murder this motherfucker. I like love this exchange. So she's like, so everyone who suffers a blow to the frontal lobe will kill? And he's like, of course not. And so then she says, okay, thank you. And so according to your theory, um, and he gets offended and tries to like drop his credits because she's like, um, so your little theory? <laughs> and he's like, I'm a psychologist. And he goes, I work with the most vicious criminals ever. And what I figured out is overwhelm- overwhelmingly, those who have abusive childhoods, psychotic symptoms, and brain injuries commit the most amount of crimes. But his study had only 187 people in it, which is not enough for a study. And the total number of brain injuries per year is 500,000. So your tiny study does not matter because 500,000 people are following the law. And he's like, actually, my study included really famous serial killers, Bundy, Dahmer, Shawcross, who I don't know, Mark David Chapman, Joel Rifkin, who I only know from Seinfeld. And she cuts in and says, and now Jerry Dupree. Thank you, doctor. I mean, she crushed it. That like, that is hot. I'm obsessed with her. (laughs) And so now we have Bakery Mama on the stand and she's talking about what a sweet boy he was. He never fought or cursed or anything. But in January, the bakery was robbed by a crazed man with a hammer. He threatened to kill the mom. Jerry wasn't uh, there at the time, but Jerry heard from upstairs, ran down, tried to rescue the mom, tried to pull the weapon from the man's um, grip, but instead he got hit right in the head with a... a hammer and he changed Jerry completely. He had headaches all the time, fits of anger, and um, he started to swear. And so he was just not his the same person, but it's not his fault. He was just protecting his mother. So we're in Craigan's office. Cabot is pissed. She's like, great. Now she has the whole jury believing he's some sort of hero. Um, but the robbery case is still open with no leads. And the mom, you know, there was a, a report. And Huang's like, listen, the brain injuries are legit. He's looking at the papers. And Cabot's like, sure. But Kong Song also dealt with abuse and never hurt a soul. And Craigan's like, fuck, to have survived hell and to run into Jerry. Yeah. And Huang notices something. He goes, well, am I this guy's kind of a klutz. Numerous evidence of structural damage in the brain, which means tons of attacks over a long period of time and of other places at like 
other places in the brain. And he's been hit in the head a ton. And Cabot's like, well, this is funny. Why didn't the mother mention all these other head wounds? Um, you know, and those, those wouldn't make him look like a hero. So we need to find evidence now that she perjured herself. So we're off to talk to an FDNY hottie. Um, and it's Fedora Munch and Finn. And so, uh, you know, tell us about everything. And the mom wouldn't leave his side and basically like physically like would pull him aside and stuff like he was very attached to the mom. And then we go talk to the little bro. Basically, the mom said that this all happened in the bakery. And the kid is like, wait, 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 no, not in the bakery. This was home. This was in our home. So then they're like, wait. So and then so the boy is like, well, why would my mom lie? But also this whole exchange is wild that two detectives can just accost a young child out uh, right outside of school. It's like two bullies just ready to yeah. attack. And so uh, I just think it's wild to corner a child after school. And then they threaten the little child and go, well, your mom lied on the stand and said it was in the bakery that this happened, not at the home. So we're going to take her to jail and your brother. So you better start talking. Benson bends down on his level and is like, we know you want like she wants to protect her son, but she can ruin her life. So don't let that happen. Like we need to make sure she's not lying for her son. And the little boy yells, you don't even know her. She's the one who hurt him bombshell oh bombshell she caught him with another pair of lady shoes and beat him so the first time she caught him was five years old which means she's been beating the shit out of him since she was five years old she blame and then the the, the little boy goes she blames jerry for dad leaving us since he was such an embarrassment and she hits him too but not as bad because he's faster than jerry benson and stabler are now sitting with jerry and Ileana douglas in prison and they're convincing him to go against the mom but he won't he denies ever being hit by her and he's screaming wildly she didn't do anything bad and he's getting up doing some like great acting he's like i killed that girl i belong in prison and Ileana douglas goes no you don't belong in prison you belong in a hospital and he says they can't fix me and if i get Get out, I'll do it again. And Benson's like, well, what about your mom? Because she might do it again. She's going to hit Brandon. We have to save Brandon. Without, with you in the hospital, she's he's going to get hit. You have to save your brother. And they're pleading with him, like, turn on your mom. You have to save us, like your brother. And he starts talking. Basically, there was a girl in the bakery and I started, you know, he started talking to her about the shoes right in front of the mom. And the mom went crazy and came after him with a frying pan. And I told her, Do, don't hit my head, ma. And that made her even like matter. And she bopped him on the side of the head and knocked him down and kept hitting. And she be and he begged her to stop. And is like, remember what the doctor said. But she grabbed the handle with both hands and brought it down as hard as she could. And he's crying and it's really hard for him to speak. And it's the last thing he ever remembers. And the music turns super dark. And now she's in a pink dress, like dress shirt. And she's working the bakery, smiling like it's, you know, fucking morning at Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> and then they they arrest her in front of all the customers. She is shocked. And she's like, this is insane. I had nothing to do with Coon's song. And they're and uh, they're like, it's depraved indifference. You're going to jail. You turned him into a killer. And she says, I didn't make him the way he is. He's always been like this. I did everything I could to fix it. And Benson's like, you mean beat the shit out of him? And she screams, nothing else worked. You don't know what he put me through. And she's yelling as Stabler has her handcuffed, leading her out as everyone is watching. And she's twisting and screaming and she's like, don't look at me like that. I'm not the one who's sick. You know me. Tell them I'm a good mother. Tell them. Nobody tells them. I wonder if everyone's going to get a pastry on the house for that <laughs> little disturbance. And that is Dick Wolf, baby. 
Oh, oh my gosh. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. That is such a good episode. And the crime is super disturbing. So stay tuned. Listen, we're all SVU fans. We love a family drama. We love a mystery to solve. And you got to get hooked into a story with the details. You need the visuals. You need the storylines with the twists and the turns. And that is what June's Journey has and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young girl on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murderer. Dun, 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 dun. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. The game is filled with all these beautiful detailed scenes from the 20s, like lavish estates and gardens. And of course, little hidden clues are everywhere. There's twists, turns, catchy tunes. It all takes you deeper into this storyline. And if you play well enough, you can make it into the detective club. And there you can chat with other players and even compete with or against them, which is pretty exciting. And you never know which character might be a villain. Shocking family secrets will be revealed. And can you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. Okay, love that. And guess what? It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. So crazy, crazy that I just realized this episode is based off of a criminal also named Jerry. So they literally didn't even change the name of the killer in this episode. Uh, This episode is based off of uh, the lust killer or the shoe fetish slayer, whose name was Jerome Henry Brutos, a.k.a. Jerry Brutos. He is depicted in Mindhunter. He is up there with Ted Bundy and all of these guys that are like known as the biggest serial killers. He killed four women between 68 and 69, but I think just the nature of his... uh, Um, horrific crimes is what puts him like up with these guys that killed like so many more. And Anne Rule, the woman who was friends with Ted Bundy. Yeah. And wrote The Stranger Beside Me. She wrote a book about him called The Lust Killer and gave him the nickname The Lust Killer. So Jerry Brudos, as a young boy, moved around a lot with his family between like Oregon and California and then settled down in Salem, Oregon, which is a town I've been to to do comedy. And it is this gorgeous coastal town in Oregon, but it's like, it is a little spooky. It's like on the water and like that, like Pacific Northwest fog. Like I, it's really gorgeous, but it's a little spooky. He found a pair of women's high heels in a junkyard at around age five. And that kicked off his obsession with women's shoes. And another thing about him was that I don't, I don't, there's no evidence that his mom was ever beating him the way that this in this episode, but his mom had wanted a son. I mean, had wanted a daughter and when she had him. Like, she already had an older son named Larry, and she wanted her next kid to be a girl and, like, prayed and prayed that her second pregnancy would be a girl, but it was Jerry, and she was pissed, and she let him fucking know it. She would dress him in girls' clothing. She would shower praise on the older brother. And then one time when she found his heels, she set them on fire. So by first grade, he's fully obsessed with women's shoes. He's trying to steal his teacher's shoes, and his obsession is, like, 
in full swing. He also liked to collect women's underwear. He would break into homes to steal pairs of underwear. And then as he moved into his teens, obviously this obsession became more violent and dark. Psychiatrists think that he created these fantasies. I just hate blaming women for men's crimes, but like... I know. Fuck. And honestly, I just really quickly Googled it. Like, there are some articles that say that he had a head injury, but nothing in my research says where he would have gotten that head injury or where, like, because he's on the list with guys like the expert in this episode. There are experts that try to say that, like, Dahmer had a head injury, Ben Bundy had a head injury, that all these guys had head injuries. But I don't know, in Brutus's, like, history, I don't see where that head injury happened. There are other injuries that he tries to blame later, but I'll get into it. Um, So, I don't know. It does suck. Like maybe, I don't know. Why was he so attracted to women's shoes right from the jump at age five? Like maybe he was like, you know, had some gender dysphoria, who knows? But psychiatrists said that they thought he was creating those fantasies for revenge on his mother for treating him like shit. Uh, see, cause like, yeah, I think a lot of these issues, cause it's like if Jerry or someone like shoes and he wasn't shamed for it and he was like, oh yeah, wear my heels. He could have been fine. Yeah. Maybe he would just end up doing drag, you know, like drag queens you're don't forcing it. Yeah. Man. It's just, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why so much of the stuff happening right now in like contemporary times with like gender, or whatever, like everyone being mad at trans people out of nowhere, like marks of for fucking fascism. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, just let your kids be who they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like we wouldn't even have to do all that stuff. It's like, it's like, that, there was like a post where it's like of the binary, our, our number one fan, Arsley, posted this. But if the binary was so natural, why would you have to work so hard to keep it? Yeah. Yeah. If boys just had to be rough, you know what I mean? Like if your son wants to fucking do ballet, let him fucking do it. Yeah. Oscar was wearing barrettes in his hair the whole day the other day. I don't care. He wants to look like his sister, who, by the way, my daughter won't wear dresses. I'm like, okay. I did force her once for a wedding, but never again. And it's only, and it's been a year. Can you imagine forcing Rosie to wear something she didn't want to wear? No. Like sickening. It would not, no, no. It would honestly be horrible. Yeah. Like, yes, even yesterday I was going to give her a bath and she really didn't want to take one because she was sick. I was like, all right, I'm not going to force you. You're sick. You know, I'll let you have this one. Like, yeah, I just, obviously we have to force them to do some things, you know, but like what they wear, that kind of stuff, it's insane. So at 17, this morphs into stalking, obviously. Um, he would hold women at knife point and sometimes he would knock them out so he could steal their shoes. So it's like what Jerry said, that he would like sometimes stalk these women and then like figure out ways to get into their apartment and get their shoes. Um, one, I mean, for SVU to use the exact name of the real killer for the fake killer is why I know, I know. It's like there wasn't even a brainstorm. They're like, let's just go with Jerry. So uh, one time he forced a woman to strip down and took photos of her before stealing her shoes. And that one he got arrested for. And they sent him to the Oregon State Hospital where he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And even though he told them all about how he had these fetishes and these fantasies of chopping up women and keeping them in a freezer and all this shit, he only spent nine months in the hospital before they were like, he's sane. And they let him go. They're like, we fixed him. He's good. I mean, it is this, it is like the sixties here, like, or probably the late fifties. And so I, I understand that this shit was like, not as advanced as it is today, but Jesus, like how many people would be alive if he had just like, you know, 
been medicated or stayed in the hospital longer. Anyway, he eventually graduated high school. He tried to join the army, but he was discharged for having quote-unquote bizarre obsessions. And then at 22, he settles down and he marries 17-year-old Darcy Metzler. This is actually the ages that my in-laws got married and they are still in love. So thank God it worked. But like, wow, wild to be married at 17 and 22. Um, And this was in 1961. He would ask his wife to do housework naked except for a pair of high heels while he took pictures. And um, for some, this might be considered like sexy, like a sexy kink for a husband and wife. But according to um, an article in That Oregon Life, quote, things were decidedly non-consensual. He never simply asked, he demanded. So that's the end of the quote. But like he... Darcy was like, at first she was like, I guess this is what I'm supposed to do as a wife. And then she was like very over it. Um, and so by the time she gave birth to their second child, a son, like at first he had uh, he had a daughter and then he had a son and he was so excited for his son to be born and she wouldn't let him into the room during the birth because she's like, you treat me like an object. Like, I don't want you to be in the room. And that sent him on a spiral apparently. And at this time, he started to get migraines and experience blackouts and uh, According to him, the only cure was to go out and steal more shoes and underwear. At this point, he starts dressing in drag in order to disassociate and to escape from reality. So now his first murder is in January of 1968. And unfortunately, it's a little bit like the Coon Song thing. Linda Slauson is 19. She is selling encyclopedias door to door and she comes to Brutus's door. So it's another case of like knocking on the wrong psycho's door. His wife and his kids were at home and he lured this girl into the basement. I somehow, without them seeing, lured her to the basement where he knocked her out with a wooden two-by-four and strangled her to death. Then he would dress her up in underwear from his collection and pose her body. Then he used a hacksaw to cut off her left foot, which he kept in a freezer in a high-heeled shoe, like modeling it. And he threw the rest of her body into the Willamette River. So Horrible. The second murder happens almost 10 months later in November of 1968 when a 23-year-old named Jan Susan Whitney's car breaks down on the five between Salem and Albany in Oregon. Brutus offers to drive her to his house so that she can call a tow truck. She was actually traveling with two men. There were like two hippie guys she had picked up, but they weren't helping fix the car. So he picked up all three of them. Then he dropped the guys off and brought Jan to his own house. So he got, um, then when he got to his house, he's like, I'm just going to run in and tell my wife. But he got in the car behind her and strangled her with a leather strap, sexually assaulted her, and then kept This is, like, so disturbing, so I'll just tell you to fast forward 30 seconds if, like, really, really disturbing stuff. But he kept her body hanging from a hook and pulley system in his garage for several days. And um, he dressed her up, photographed her, had sex with her. He was a necrophile as well. Like, he had sex with her dead body. And it's so insane. He was super cocky after he got away with his first murder. Like, he left her there for days and days. In fact— His family went away for a few days and he left her hanging there and a car crashed into his house, leaving a hole big enough that if anyone had looked inside, they would have seen this woman's body just dangling there, but no one looked inside, including the cops. So it gets gross. Not even the insurance surveyor? Well, what happened is, what happened was like after he got home, he later, when he confessed all this later, he goes, that was a close one to the cops. He goes, so I took her down and I like wrapped her in plastic and then, um, and put her in another building on my property. And then I invited the insurance and the cops people to come back and take a look at the garage. So it's like, but on first blush, like they really could have seen it like, and they didn't. And it's so 
It's horrible. He also cut off one of her breasts and made a resin mold out of it that he used as a paperweight, which is in Asylum, the season of American Horror Story, if you've seen that. Like, Zachary Quinto's character has paperweights that are made out of human breasts. It's horrible. This is very Ed Gein-like. Yes. And I thought that even earlier as you talked, I go, oh, this is like Psycho, which is kind of based on Ed Gein. And yes. like, it, he is now the the breast paperweight. I mean, this is... No, great connection. Most of the articles that I read refers to him as like the main character in Psycho. Like many of them refer to him as that because he has all these like similar tendencies and like a hatred of his mother and blah, blah, blah. So when he, um, then he again threw the body into the Willamette River. He weighted the bodies down and then he would throw them into the river. And he also threw in the foot from the first victim because at that point it had rotted. Murder number three happens four months later. So they're getting closer together because this guy's obviously like he's turned on by these murders, of course. And March of 1969, 18-year-old Karen Sprinker is abducted at gunpoint from a parking garage. And then two young girls later inform the police that a large man dressed in drag was on the parking garage roof on the day that Karen went missing. So that was Jerry. He took her to his garage, made her try on his collection and pose while he took pictures of her, sexually assaulted her, and then finally strangled her by hanging her body from this pulley system that he has in his garage, which is, like, so horrific. I can't even, um, ugh, yeah. Uh, and so then he, again, had sex with the body's postmortem or necrophilia, and then on, uh, he also cut off her breasts to make plastic molds with them because I think the first one, he said, didn't turn out the way he wanted it to. Anyway, um, then he, of course, say it with me now, threw her body into the Willamette River. That's like where he goes to dump all of his bodies. And now they're, the crimes are getting so close together because it's literally a month later, April 21st, he attempts to kidnap Sharon Wood, age 24, at gunpoint in a parking garage at Portland State University. She fought back, bit his thumb till it broke the skin, and then he beat her unconscious. And then an oncoming car spooked him and he fled the scene. But he's so like, hard up to get another woman that he tries the next day to get someone else. Then it's so bizarre. There's on April 22nd, there's all this conflicting info. I'm reading info that he tried to kidnap Gloria Jean Smith, who was 15. And also that he tried to kidnap 14-year-old Leanne Brumley. And so some of the articles I read think that this is the same victim with their name changed. Um, so I don't know what the actual name of the victim is, but I looked everywhere and it's it's it, both names are in places all over about him, but he was only confessed to like, there were only two attempted kidnappings. So these are definitely the same one that happened on April 22nd. Uh, and he tried to lure this person into his uh, mother's green Volkswagen, but they escaped. So this victim escaped, thank God. But the cops like still at this point, aren't really like connecting these, these disappearances. How? And, well, they haven't found bodies yet. So they're not, they're not, connecting anything yet, that these women have gone missing. Um, and then murder number four happens the day after these two consecutive days of kidnappings. Um, he's super desperate, and he abducts Linda Saley, who's 22, from a mall parking lot. And here he uses a fake police badge and says he's a cop. And is like, I'm going to arrest you for shoplifting. Get Come with me. And does the same thing. Brings her to his garage, rape, strangle, necrophilia, dump the body in the Willamette River. But he also tried to, this is so horrific, he tries to electrocute her to make her body, like, dance or jump, but it, like, didn't work. But he's an electrician. Like, a lot of them were choked with a, a copper wire. So that's, like, um, from the episode, that's a link also to this actual true crime. 
So the next month, May of 1969, a fisherman finds the body of victim number four, Linda Saley, in the Long Tom River. And a couple days later, they find Karen Sprinker, victim number three's body. Um, Because Sprinker was a college student, the police ask students at Oregon State University in Corvallis about any suspicious men that have been hanging around, like whatever. And it turns out that Jerry had just been calling random college girls posing as a lonely Vietnam vet and asking them on dates. And one girl who talked to the police said, I actually did go on a date with this guy, Jerry Brudos, and he really creeped me out because on the date he asked me, aren't you afraid that I'm going to strangle you? And that obviously got her like, you know, red flags flapping in the wind. They were like, okay, well, let us know if he calls you again. And he did. He called her again, and she had no intention of going on a second date with him. But when he called, she set one up, and then she called the cops. And so they were surveilling the date. And they said he strolled up to the date full confidence, not like a sketchy person with someone with something to hide. Like, just like, what's up? Ready for my date. And probably excited that he was going to kill again. Um, and they What were, a hero. Yeah. What a college girl hero. Yeah, seriously. And they were interested in him as a suspect, but they really had nothing to hold him under, like, and they just kept him under surveillance and looked into his background and they realized, oh my gosh, like the first victim was taken like right near where he lives. And the second victim, her car broke down right on a route that he would take to and from work. So like they basically figured out he had full access to all four victims. It would have been easy for him to get to them. Um, He had also, when he had been questioned by police, he gave a false address, which uh, increase their suspicions. Um, they got a warrant to search his car, which had been, um, fr- which I believe that the warrant to search his car and all that stuff is based off of the girl who um, try- he tried to abduct because she lived. The car had been freshly washed, more suspicious. So then um, the teen who he tried to abduct picked him out of a photo array. So the cops went to go arrest him. On May 30th, Brutus was arrested wearing women's underwear and was interrogated by police. Um, And even though his lawyer told him to shut the fuck up, he confessed to everything because he wanted to brag. Like, he's one of these guys, like, they, I don't remember exactly, but if you watched Mindhunter, he is portrayed in Mindhunter. And this guy loves to talk about his crimes. Like, he had zero guilt, zero remorse. He had only remorse for himself. He's like, oh, I'm going to jail. And I guess I feel bad for my wife and kids. But that was it. Like, the women, he, apparently at one point, they asked him about the women and he balled up a piece of paper and threw it away. And he's like, I feel about those women the way I feel about that wadded up piece of paper, like trash. I don't care. They also said the cops that he never lost his appetite despite like describing every horrific thing he did to these women and their bodies after they were dead. And that he said um, he talked about the victims like they were objects that belonged to him and existed only for his pleasure. He also told his wife Darcy to burn a bunch of evidence, which girl Darcy did not do. And so when the authorities came to his home and garage, he thought like, haha, they're never going to find anything. My wife took care of it. They found everything. Like they found evidence linking him to unfortunately Unfortunately, they found evidence linking him to only three of the murders, even though he confessed to the first murder. That was his first murder. So at that point, he wasn't taking photos. He wasn't keeping um, trophies yet and stuff. So there wasn't as much evidence. And But they found the hook and pulley system, nylon cord, leather straps, like copper wire that he w- had used, um, a mold for the paperweight that he had made, um, women's shoes in various sizes, tons of underwear, girdles, panties, slips, as well as photographs. And the photos were were really graphic. Like, the photos were of him in female underwear, but were also images of the victims. Like, one was a woman suspended from the hook and pulley with a black hood over her head. Another, the body had been dressed in several different garments and photographed. Um, And a lot of times, 
In the photographs, the heads had been cut out of the women in the photograph so that he could just look at the bodies. So that just goes to show you, like, how much he dehumanized the women. Like, their faces and heads, like, just, like, didn't really mean anything. One of the photos that Anne Rule wrote about in her book was of, quote, a girl's body clothed in a black lace slip and panties with garters hung suspended from the ceiling. The camera angled up to her crotch reflected in a mirror on the floor. In the lower corner of the photo, there was the frozen image of a killer caught on wears in the mirror, end of quote. So the photo was Brutos in the photo looking up at the woman he had just murdered. So he like caught himself on camera. So like he, and he confessed to all four. Unfortunately, he did not, he was never prosecuted for the murder of Linda Slauson and her body was never found. So if her body had been found and they'd been able to make like forensic matches, but her body was never found. His lawyers attempted a mental illness defense and he like, you know, tried to whine and like fake cry to convince psychiatrists that he was the victim of a terrible mother. But most of them were like, no, you just feel sorry for yourself. Um, He claimed that in 1967, the year before he started murdering, that he'd been electrocuted because he was an electrician. And he said that's when his headaches started. And he said he couldn't control himself and he fantasized about keeping women in in their corpses in freezers and he wanted to be able to dress and pose them like they were dolls essentially and he said if he went to a hospital he knows he'd get better and he could get out and raise his own kids like so he was like arrogant and delulu this man he the seven psychiatrists assessed him and said that he absolutely has a personality disorder but always knew that what he was doing was wrong so they're like yes he had antisocial personality disorder which many psychopaths have but was not legally insane or psychotic. He knew what he did was illegal and he knew it was wrong. And he, they said, there's no way he can be rehabilitated. So after consulting with his attorneys who were like, bro, you are, it is a dead end for you. He changed his plea to guilty in the murders of Jan Whitney, Karen Sprinker, and Linda Saley. Um, Whitney's body was recovered the month after he was convicted. Um, but they were able to charge her based on photos and evidence and stuff. But unfortunately, Linda Slauson's body was never found. And so he was never prosecuted. Um, because, yeah, he took no photos of her. He was sentenced to three consecutive terms of life imprisonment with the chance of parole. What? Which is crazy, but he appealed and went before the uh, parole board a billion times, and then in 1995, they were like, you're never getting out, just FYI. Like, you're never getting out. So, and they assured the families he's never getting out. So, and his prison cell was filled with shoe catalogs. He would, like, write away for them and, like, get shoe companies to send him shoe catalogs. So, uh, a sickness even in punishment. And he died in prison in 2006 of liver cancer after serving 37 years in prison. And I believe... I read something like he was one of the longest kept offenders in prison in Oregon or something at the time of his death. So he definitely served a lot of time before he died, but like truly one of the sickest cases I've read about. And what, and it's weird. There's not like, I don't know. There's not like good docs and stuff about him. It's like almost maybe too much. Like people. I've never really heard of him. Was it season one of Mindhunter? I think so. So it, cause I don't even remember that. This is sick, dude. This is like yeah. fucking movie level gross. Yeah. Cause they, I read the actor's name. They told me, they, they wrote, they said somewhere of who played him in Mindhunter. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, super fucked. Ugh. And it's just like, the guy was so not remorseful, not like I'm sick, not like, you know what I mean? Just kind of like, yep, I did it and wanted to brag about it. And, Dude, ugh. 
Yeah. The shoe fetish slayer. Yeah, he was portrayed by an actor named Happy Anderson in uh, season one of Mindhunter. It was episode seven and eight. And Wikipedia says, and I'm not sure whether this stuff is ever real, that Ted Levine, who played Buffalo Bill in Silence of the Lambs, partially based his performance on Brutus, but... Fucking sick. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. And... Join us for a post-mortem that will be sicker than ever. All right. Still no guests today because we are standing union strong. Hopefully, as of the time of this release of this episode, the SAG strike will be over, but it has not ended yet. Actually, we were we did a while ago have a guest lined up for this episode. We were supposed to talk to the woman who plays the mother, Um who I always thought of as, uh, you know, the iconic uh, Blair Waldorf's mother from Gossip Girl. But we did find out through doing research on her that she is anti-choice. And that's just, if you know, you know us. And that's not the vibe of this podcast. So we decided to- it's quietly anti-choice. It's like very loud. <laughs> oh yeah, she's loudly anti-choice. Loud. Yes. So we were like- um, It wasn't I think, like we d- had to even dig. It was like- and uh, this is the number one thing I care number about. One search result. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't like in my free time I enjoy knitting, going on walks, and uh, protesting women's rights. You know, like that. It was it was the number one thing that she likes. Um, so we yeah, decided not she, to do that. You know, and in this episode, she is very anti-choice. No, I don't know. I was gonna make a <laughs> a connection to like she didn't let her son just like feet, but that you know that's trivializing, of course. Yeah. Um, listen, this episode is so good. It's SVU and like shocking. It's twisted. It's kind. It's messy. It's layered. There's twists. It's like a really good fucking classic. Yeah, episode. Yeah, and it's got. It's got, all, as usual, Olivia Benson flexing her knowledge of luxury goods. She knows how much things cost, okay? She she might be a cop, but she likes the finer things in life. What? I mean, yeah, the, the big postmortem takeaway for me here is like, yeah, let your fucking kids like what they like. <laughs> like, I guess it doesn't matter. Like, But I mean, Jerry Brudos's mom, it seems like, was just mad at him for being a boy. And so, like, she degraded him and made him... Like, you know, wear girls' clothing, I guess, since that I wouldn't do go that route. Um, because that seems well, that's like still you forcing. turned him into a serial killer. Yeah. Don't force your kids to do anything. Don't force them to like any kind of I literally just now posted for shoes. I was like, I need shoes for my four-year-old on my um buy sell trade group on on uh Facebook and was like I need shoes for my 10-year-old. She doesn't like any new shoes, so I need to buy her, like, worn-in shoes. And she's not femme. She doesn't like anything femme, so I need blue, I need gray, I need black, I need red, you know? Wait, and she needs them worn in. Like, the the best shoes she likes are the ones for that I get her from um, this consignment store that's over in Eagle Rock because she likes, she like, if I get her new ones from Target, which I have many times, she's like, they're too tight. Like, she doesn't like the stiffness and I don't think she understands the concept of breaking in shoes. <laughs> so, yeah. Wow, but she's you know, so, such a little particular angel. She really that. is. And you know what? She needs... Well, no, because like, I judged you for forever. I remember, you know, she famously just wore these 
these Nikes with full white big socks. And I was just like, why is this happening? And then I found out it was her choice. And I yeah. I liked that. I was like, why is my friend doing this? And no, I am very much trying like, to let her so be many her own laces. person. It's like so much work. It's hot out. We're going to the pool. Like, oh my God, off it's your hot Nikes. out. She it's 95 degrees in LA. She will only wear long sleeve shirts with short sleeve shirts over them and then a jacket and then long pants, socks, and shoes. Like she is, I don't know how she could ever live anywhere else but LA. She's freezing all the time, I guess. Is she, for, what is it? So, and she keeps them on. Are they soaking wet when she comes home? Does she, she, get, she, does she, she take gets, off the layers? She'll take off just the jacket at school at the end of the day, usually, like when she's at after school. And then when I pick her up, she's like, I'm sweaty. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But yeah, like, I don't, I don't try to like, th- I know you all are like, what about that time you made her wear a dress for your brother's wedding? That was the last time I did that. And that was, you know, 14 months ago. She's never worn a dress since. And she probably won't wear a dress again until she has a full, you know, I don't know. It, maybe she's if not Daniel, influ- t- <laughs> she's maybe not- if Bluey wears a dress. We'll yeah. <laughs> she's not even influenced by friends because her best friend is like the girliest girl ever. And she's just like not about that life. And her best friend eats oysters. She's four years old. This girl, she eats oysters. She eats sushi, Rosie pasta. Um, so yeah, not a follower, but also, also totally a follower in a lot of ways, but yeah, let your kids fucking do what they want so that you don't turn them into serial killers. Come on, let's go. She's already obsessed with skeletons. I don't need to help her get any more creepy, you know? I know that is a particular genre of girl that like loves Nightmare Before Christmas and Jack Skellington. It is just like a little gothic type. And I know a lot of, I like it a lot, but it wasn't my main thing. But like our friend's sister, what is that? Oh, my best friend from home just sent this to to, my best friend from home just sent this to Oscar and Rosie. It's Oogie Boogie from from Nightmare Before Christmas because they love it. That's just funny that you brought that up because Jared just texted me that five minutes ago. Um, But what were you saying? Oh, nothing. That's just like a particular genre of person for sure. Oh, and then we'll have to wait for next week. But you are you've been in charge of the Harvest Festival at Rosie's school and can't wait to hear the full rundown of Harvest Fest. Oh, my God. The Harvest Festival. Yeah. The only thing I have left to do is get pumpkins and hay bales. And I'm just going around to businesses begging them to donate pumpkins and hay bales. And I'm honestly getting ghosted by this woman that runs a pumpkin patch. And I don't get it. It's like, just tell me no. She's just not answering me. Some people aren't good at (laughs) communicating in that way. They would rather just ruin your life. Uh, Where did you go on the mom group? Ask for pumpkins. I should. I should. That's my next move. That's my next move. But it is funny. We will not stop talking about Halloween. (laughs) 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 And what's so funny is that we're then going to live through Halloween and then want to talk talk about about it it again. It will be our December 1st episode and we'll be like, Oh my God, I had the best Halloween. And then we'll talk about the Roni finale. Everything is so far away. Um, But listen, guys, this is how it works when we have to be um, putting out quality podcasts for you, performing quality shows for you live. And And Love is Blind was bad. Oh yeah. No reviews there. I guess you'll have to wait for another, you'll have to wait for another season of uh, The Ultimatum Queer Love. I was with someone and I was stoned and instead of ultimatum queer love, I said it was a show called ultimate queers. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the ultimate queers in a queer smackdown. I love that. Um, and we oh, really cracked up. You know what I want to watch? And I, I feel like we have to give a shout out to a fellow exactly right person, but our friend Roz Hernandez is hosting a show with Kristen Stewart that's like a gay ghost hunting show, a queer ghost hunting show. And I love that. It's called Living for the Dead on Hulu. So that's just a shout out. I'm going to check it out very soon, but hopefully you guys will watch it as well because Roz is like side-splittingly funny. And I'm sure that her hunting for ghosts with another uh, Twilight vampire is a great idea. I don't know. Wait, does Kristen Stewart ever turn into a vampire? I'm not I'm not familiar with the show. She does, yes. She does. She does. Thank you. Casey, oh my God, very you familiar with the head? canon. Are you a Twihard? No, but my group of friends was very into Twilight in college, and I have I did go to every single movie at the midnight showing in college. Wow. So I at least have a working knowledge of Twilight. Wow, Casey. Wow, 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 wow. Um, the most I I've actually seen of it. just watched a compilation of a, like a carousel on Instagram of Robert Pattinson talking about how much he hates Twilight in every interview. He like <laughs> hates it and hates being in it and thinks it is trash. And there was like a full carousel, 10, of him just hating it during press junkets. When I worked at MTV, when a new movie would come out, it was like all we could talk about f at work for weeks. And then they would go to San Diego Comic-Con and it would just be like people getting crushed. And like, it just was such a Beatles thing with the fucking Twilight that I was kind of glad I was never really a part of. Um, no, I really no offense, wasn't a part of Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, Twilight, Hunger Games yeah. pittered out for me. I don't know, though. That's, I guess... I did read all the Hunger Games books. I did do that. But I'm listen. trying to think what franchise I really like outside the Housewives. Is there a movie franchise I've seen them all of? I think Saw has good acting. Okay, let's go. Uh, Jared just saw Saw 10 and said it was bad. Did you see it, Casey? No, I heard that one was actually pretty good. That's what everybody said. That's why he went. He goes, everybody's saying Saw 10 is good. And I go, I thought you didn't like torture porn. And he goes, it's supposed to be good. And I go, okay. He comes in from watching it. I go, how was it? He goes, it was torture porn. <laughs> like, Yeah, but but the first one is so cool. Like, you know, the, the trap on the head, that's scary. I haven't watched any of them. Are you kidding? Oh, there's like this wild trap on this woman's head. And she there's like a puzzle of some sort and a timer. And she has to that like unlock this thing. And if not, her whole like jaw and face gets ripped open by this Jesus. metal contraption. And so it's like so stressful. Yeah, that would be stressful. <laughs> I fucking hate that kind of shit. All right. Speaking of, you know, let's move on to what would Sister Peg do? This is our weekly segment where we direct you to an article, an organization, a book, something to give you more info about what we talked about today. And this week, we wanted to point you to the book Lust Killer by Ann Rule. If you want to know more about Jerry Brudos, which I don't know why you need to know more, but some people, you know, I don't know. I read a whole book on the Green River Killer. I've read books on Ted Bundy, you know. And and Ann Rule was, as we mentioned, Ted Bundy's like pal before he got busted. So um, she wrote a book about Jerry Brudos called The Lust Killer. So if you want to know more about old Jerry, read Lust Killer. And that will be, as always, that will be saved on our highlights, on our WWSPD highlights on our Instagram page. And we'll post it on our stories the day the episode comes out. 
And next week we'll be doing Solitary, season 11, episode three. The SVU never stops. We're obsessed with all of you. And if you're wondering where you can watch, it's Hulu, it's Peacock, it's a VPN. Um, Peace out. Oh my God, Kara, I found a childhood photo of me and on the TV screen is UPN. Like it, like it says, it's like no, at, it's like at the moment. Wait, like, you have and to now you're watching that. EPN. I will. It's, um, I'll show Yeah, I will. <laughs> Cause I do love UPN. <laughs> Stay tuned for Lisa watching UPN. Thank you guys for listening. We'll see you next week. Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at thatsmesseduppod and on Twitter at messeduppod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien, and our associate producer, Christina Chamberlain. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstart, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.